Start my little timer here. Last time I preached, when I get up here, I, I, I don't know if I've gone 20 minutes or 60 minutes. So last time I was up here, I forgot to start a little timer so I could have a, a feel of things. And then the, the day after I preached, we happened to have an elder meeting that day. And I, I said, how long did I go? And Josh, without a second's hesitation, said, 42 minutes. <laughs> all right, all right. 42 minutes, he said. It's supposed to be 30. So... In my defense, though, today I only got one day notice that I was speaking today because that is, that is down for the count right now. So, uh, so we're going to take a pause from our series on the Sermon on the Mount because I didn't have one of those worked up. So, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship. So it, it, it plays into the series. It's just not a text uh, based on the text in the series. So when we say the words, Jesus is Lord, you know, that's a Christians say that phrase a whole lot. Um, but I think a lot of times we say the phrase without really thinking about what it means. Um, and if, if we break it down, Jesus is Lord, I think it means at least three things. It means that Jesus is the center of everything. He has all authority. Everything we do in life, we look to him as the guide for all that. He's at the center of all we do, right? Jesus is Lord. He has all authority. I think it also means that Jesus shows us what God is like because the only reason he has that authority is because Jesus shows us God. He shows it. It's not just that Jesus is like God. It's not that he's God-like. It's that God is like Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see God. The way he lives shows us the life of God. The way he speaks shows us the, the message of God. The way, he, um, the way he teaches shows us the desires of God and all of that. When we, when we look at Jesus, we see God. And then thirdly, when we say Jesus is Lord... Um, we're saying that we are choosing to be apprentices of Jesus. That's what a Lord is. It's someone who, who, who guides us, right? Um, so we're choosing to be his apprentice. By, by making that proclamation, Jesus is Lord, we're saying at least those three things. Uh, Romans 10, uh, Paul says in verse 9, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, now I think, I think the evangelical church has done a pretty solid job of teaching people that we need to look to Jesus as our Savior. And I think we've done a good job of getting the phrase Jesus is Lord out there where it's, not a, it's, it's something that people are accustomed to hearing. But, but we emphasize looking to Jesus as our Savior, I think, a lot more than we really, than we really th emphasize Jesus as Lord in terms of the content of what that means. Um, but this verse tells us that we, when we confess his lordship, along with the belief that God raised Jesus from the dead, then that's, that all comes into the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. That's why we can say Jesus is Lord, not Jesus was Lord, because we're saying it along with that belief that he's raised from the dead. He is still living, right? He's not, he's not in the grave. Jesus is Lord now. He's my mentor and he's my master right now. So it's a, it's a powerful, it's a bold proclamation to make. Um, but out of that confession comes a view for what we know in the church as discipleship. Um, we are a school of Jesus, to say the least. We're, this is the essence of what Christianity is. This is the essence of what the church is, is being a school of Jesus. Um, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, he said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. If we're not making 
people who are like Jesus, then we've lost Jesus in the process. So discipleship is what we're talking about today. What is it? Why is it important for us? Because that's, that's really our core objective. That's really our core mission as the church um, is not to be a, a social support system for each other, although the church does that. It's not to be um, a prayer group, although the church does that. The core mission of the church is to mold people to be like Jesus because when we become like Jesus, we become like God. And that's our objective. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, probably pretty familiar with this passage. Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, he he gives a kind of a final charge to his disciples And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what it means to declare Jesus as Lord, to acknowledge that he has all authority. Go, therefore, since Jesus is Lord, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We're not just teaching them what he commanded, but we teach them to obey what he commanded. And that's the difference between teaching and training someone. We're not here to just teach the content of what Jesus said. We are here to train people to be, uh, to, to live lives and be, uh, have an existence like Jesus. And then he says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is going to be a part of this process the whole time. He's with us throughout. So when we, when we think about the word disciple, we're talking about a couple of different Greek words uh, that are translated that way in the, in, the, in the New Testament. There's the word mathetes, that's the noun form of the, verb, uh, of the word, and it just means disciple, a follower. Um, then there's mathetua, which is the verb form, which is to make disciples, okay? So disciple, if you're, if you're kind of just looking for a bunch of synonyms to, to help you understand what it means, is a follower, a learner, an apprentice. I think that's probably the best synonym in terms of the way we use terms today, an apprentice, it, because it implies a training relationship between two parties, okay? So that's what we're talking about when we're, talking, when we're using the word disciple. It's education, but it's not just academic. It's not just getting together, somebody giving a speech, other people taking notes and you know, being able to regurgitate that information to somebody else. It's not just academic. It's more like learning an instrument or, or training at the gym. Um, somebody's teaching you um, how to use that equipment or how to play that instrument. Somebody's doing it alongside you. Okay, it's not just a didactic presentation that we, that we internalize. You're being mentored personally by somebody who's present there with you as you're learning. And Jesus says here, I'm present with you. I'll, I'll be with you always. Okay, the word discipleship is mentioned 250 times in the New Testament about. It's our primary identity uh, is to be disciples to be learners, to be apprentices of Jesus. Just for perspective, the New Testament only calls you a Christian three times. 250 times we're called disciples in the New Testament. Dallas Willard in The the Divine Conspiracy said, one thing is sure, you are somebody's disciple. You learn how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule for human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. So you're somebody's disciple. You got to serve somebody. Isn't that what Bob Dylan said? You're going to have to serve somebody. And you do. The question is who, right? 
So we, as the, in the church, the reason we're gathered here, the reason we come together every Sunday and the reason we gather in smaller groups every Wednesday, there's a lot of reasons, but the core, at the core of what we're trying to do is to be disciples, trying to learn a skill, and that skill is living like Jesus. We're apprentices trying to learn that skill. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people to Christ, to make them little Christs. That's the meaning of Christian. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. That's who we are. That's what we're gathering here to do, to be apprentices of Jesus so that we can learn the skill of living his life. Now, that creates a tension for us, though. If we really start thinking about it seriously, it creates, it creates some problems for us because we, as modern Westerners, um, interpret what it means to be a disciple um, and how Jesus, uh, in a different way than how Jesus did in his early uh, Hebraic context. So when we hear the word disciple, we usually associate it with different things than what Jesus would have, would have associated it with. So here's the problem. Mathetes, that word disciple, it always, when Jesus used that term, the people that heard it, they're hearing a word that to them always implies personal connection with a teacher who is physically present with them. Can you see where the tension's starting to rise? Jesus isn't physically here with us right now. So when Jesus says, make them disciples of me, and then he promptly disappears up into heaven, right? That's the Great Commission. He says, make them disciples of me, I'm out of here. And the word that they're hearing when they hear the word disciple, make them disciples, they're hearing, make them people who follow somebody who's there with them. So it, it creates this disconnect, creates, creates some tension. So how are we going to be your disciples if you're not physically here to disciple us? How are we going to be your apprentices if you're not here to mentor us? Creates that tension. Um, because people back then, they weren't considered disciples of the dead founder of some philosophy. They didn't use that term uh, to talk about those people. No one said, I'm a disciple of Plato, or I'm a disciple of Aristotle or Socrates when they had already died. They would say, I'm a disciple of this guy right here who's teaching me. They might say, this mentor that I'm following represents the wisdom of Socrates or Plato or one of, these, one of these philosophers, but they didn't consider themselves disciples of the dead guy. That's not how they used the term. So the, the dilemma for Christian disciples is that we're disciples of a dead guy who's alive and who's here with us, but we can't see him. So how does, how does all that work? How do we make sense of all that? Um, the first century church developed an understanding of discipleship that, that, that kind of harmonized all of this. They, they saw discipleship as a kind of grand partnership. So Jesus is here spiritually leading the process with us. He's here amongst us in, in a very real sense, but he's spiritually leading, leading the process. But he, they didn't end with that. Um, they didn't say, follow Jesus, the guy who's here spiritually that you can't see, and stop there. Because the question would be, okay, how do I do that? I want to follow him, can't see him, don't, don't know where he's at. How do I learn from him? How do I follow him? And Because today, we don't think anything of following somebody who isn't alive. It's not just in Christianity. It's, 
You know, there's a lot of different uh, worldviews, a lot of different philosophies where people say, I'm a follower of this person um, or this teacher or this philosopher um, who's, who's now dead. We don't think anything of it today. But the reason is because today we have a book, especially in Christianity. We don't think of it in those terms because we have a book that recounts all of this for us. Uh, but compared to Christians throughout history, that's really a, that's really a privilege. That's, uh, we're the educated, we're the wealthy elite ones who can have the education to read a book and we have the wealth to purchase books and carry them around with us and, and bring them to church and all open to the same passage and read those. We can do all of that right now, but that hasn't been normative for the church throughout history and really throughout the world today, it still isn't normative for Christians everywhere, Okay. So what we've done is we've reduced discipleship to studying a book. Um, we say, follow, you want to follow Jesus? You want to know how to do that? Go read a book. Um, and of course, we, we need the book. I'm not, I'm not minimizing how important the Bible is. We need that book uh, to keep us on track. But we disciple one another through personal relationships, not just by, not just by telling people to go read a book. Okay? Discipleship is not just knowing more and more and more about the Bible. That's not what discipleship is. That's not what our goal is as the church. Okay? So in the New Testament, um, people would have this dual discipleship focus where they were being discipled by Jesus. He was spiritually present with them, guiding the body of believers into his way. But they were being discipled through someone who was physically present with them um, that they could see and talk to and touch and all of that. So that's the solution. That's the solution that the New Testament church came up with. New Testament discipleship always involves a physically present teacher representing our spiritually present Lord. Okay, that's that's the that's the the pattern for discipleship in the, in the New Testament. If we don't understand that, if we don't understand how discipleship worked back then and what they were talking about when they used the word, then we're going to misunderstand the passages that talk to us about it. And there's other passages that, that we're going to misunderstand because we are regularly called to follow Jesus in the Bible. But then there's other verses in the Bible that seem to be telling us to follow somebody who's physically present with us. And those are never going to reconcile unless we understand the way the church worked out discipleship uh, for themselves. You've got a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. Okay? If we just stumble upon that, word, that, that verse, we may think he means a lot of different things. We may think he means, it's just kind of a fancy way of saying follow Christ. That's kind of the way it was always kind of explained away in churches I grew up in. You know, it's, it's just, a, just a way of saying follow Christ. Um, listen to what I'm teaching so that you can follow Christ. Um, that's a lot more simple, a lot more clean. Um, we don't have to wrestle with as much. But what does that mean? Ultimately, we would boil it down to saying, well, it really means go read a book about Christ so that you can know what he said and know what he taught, and then we can, then we can follow him. But when we, take a, when we approach the verse that way, we're thinking like Westerners, modern Westerners, and we're distorting what the, uh, what the way of God is. But what would that have meant to the first century Christian who read that letter for the first time? The Christians in Corinth who read that letter and they read that sentence where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, I'll follow the example of Christ. I'll follow Jesus. How? What's his example? 
Where can I see it? Who's going to teach me that? He, the book of Hebrews, there's a, there's, a, there's a passage in there, there's a verse in there that says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, so how do I, how do I keep my eyes fixed on somebody that I can't see? Um, how do I get to see the invisible guy? And the answer to that is through the mediating, nurturing presence of a spiritually mature brother or sister in Christ who partners with Christ to help us grow. That's the model of discipleship in the Bible. So when Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus, it's not because he has a big ego. And he says, look at me and you're going to, that's just as, that's just as good as looking at Jesus. It's not, it's not an ego matter for him. He's just admitting how discipleship works. That's what it is. You and I, you know, I think a lot of times we'd like to opt out of that system because, you know, don't, don't look at me. I know, I know I've got all kinds of faults and you're going to see all those and um, that's too high a standard for me. Just, just look at Jesus. Don't look at me, just look at Jesus. A lot of times we, we talk that way even. You know, it doesn't matter what I say, just look at what the Bible says, right? We say those kinds of things to, to turn people's gaze off of us because we don't like it because we know all of our warts and scars and, and baggage that we carry. So we want to kind of opt out of that system. Um, but that's part of our Western mentality. The same mentality that enables us to opt out of um, the whole process and say, here, read this book. It's that same mentality that enables us to say, no, don't look at me. Just, just, just look at that guy that you can't see over there. Right? That's, that's, that's the mentality that's letting us do that. So what we should actually be saying is, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at me, look at my life, follow me in the ways that I follow Christ. We should be able to say that. But that makes me nervous because I screw up. I'm a bad example. I do things that are wrong. I, sometimes I talk to my wife the way I shouldn't. Sometimes I, I, I don't set a good example for my kids. Sometimes I'm not a good, a good steward of my time at work and I waste money on things. People should not look at me. That's, that's, that's the way we think. And all those things are true about us. We're screw-ups. But we can learn from each other even in our failures. We can learn from each other even in the bad examples that we set from each other because, number one, we can learn what not to do, right? When we see somebody mess up, you can learn what not to do. But when you mess up and you model repentance over your mistake, then I can learn something about Jesus through that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, he says, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. What, Paul? Are you, you inserting yourself into the story again? Isn't God our only father, Paul? Right? Paul's just saying, look, I helped you to be born again, and I'm taking some responsibility for your spiritual growth. That's what he, that's what he says by, by using the word father there. And then in verse 16, he says, I appeal to you then, be imitators of me, Paul says. Now, you would think he'd say imitate Christ, but you have to see someone living it out. If you're going to imitate Christ, you've got to know what that looks like. And the only way you really know what that looks like You don't get it from reading a book. You get some idea. But the only way you really know what living the Christ-like life looks like, the only way you know that is by watching somebody do it. So that's why he says, be imitators of me. Verse 17, for this reason I sent you Timothy. So Jesus isn't physically present with the Corinthians. And neither is Paul. Paul's not physically present with them. 
So he doesn't just ask them to remember the way he lived when he was with them. He doesn't say, remember how I did things back then? No, he says, imitate me. I'm sending Timothy to show you how. So there's always somebody physically present with them to guide that process. He says, Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord? And then he says, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus. So you see that chain that leads back to Jesus? There's people living the Jesus life. And when we follow those people in the ways that they follow Jesus, we end up following Jesus. He says, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Another thing that Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, says, you then my child. Now, Paul, now Paul's writing to Timothy, the one that he had sent to these people to be their example, right? He's writing to Timothy, who's going to be a leader in the church. You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've, uh, and what you've heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. So he tells him, teach other people what I've taught you so that they'll be able to teach other people as well. So the chain continues. Timothy, I taught you not just so that you could um, be my apprentice, but I taught you, Timothy, so that you could be a teacher. I taught you how to teach. So go and teach others how to teach. That was the message he gave to Timothy. That's what Christian discipleship feels like. That's what it sounds like. And this also goes against some of our cultural norms because we want to say, no, mind your own business. My life is mine, Right? Mind your own business. Don't, don't get involved in my business. I don't want to be involved in your business. I don't want to see too much of your life because then I'm meddling, but I don't want you to see very much of my life because then you're going to see stuff I don't want you to see, right? That's, that's our, cultural, um, our cultural mindset. And this, this model of discipleship pushes against that pretty, pretty hard, pretty strongly. Um, but when we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is any other culture any other mindset is not Lord. So every culture has other Lords. Every culture, no matter, no matter what time, no matter what place, there's other Lords. So when the gospel comes into that culture, it's going to push up against and conflict with, with those other Lords that exist within that culture. And Jesus is Lord is going to be a challenge to that system. So we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at our culture and say, what what parts of our culture are competing with Jesus for the title of Lord? We might start looking at consumerism, where we find our identity not in our relationship with Jesus, but in our, the things that we purchase. We might look at privacy, where it's nobody's business what's happening in my life. We might look at nationalism, where our primary identity comes from the fact that we're Americans, or we were born here, or, or whatever else. There's other comfort zones that we have. We need to look at those things seriously and identify them as lords that are competing, as idolatrous lords that are competing for our allegiance. And it's the, this sense of purpose has been embedded within the call of Christ since the beginning. Because when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't just say to them, come learn from me, and we're, we're going to have a great relationship with each other. No, he sent them on a mission as a part of that. The first time he met the disciples in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm going to partner with you to accomplish something. We're going to accomplish a mission that includes other people who are going to be able to turn around and include other people who are going to be able to turn around and include other people, etc., etc." 
You see, the enemy's gonna lie to you. The enemy's gonna lie to you and tell you that you're uh, not spiritually mature enough to do this, that you should wait until you're further along on, this, on, the, on your spiritual path before you can become a teacher of anyone, before you can disciple anyone. Or he, The enemy's gonna lie to you and say, you really don't need somebody sticking their nose in your business to help you along in your spiritual walk. You can figure it out by studying your Bible or by, by, by spending enough time in, time in the woods thinking about Jesus. The enemy's gonna put those thoughts in your head, but if you wait... Tell me, when are you going to get to the point of maturity where, where you can actually take that on? There's always going to be that excuse because we never arrive. The Christian life is about the journey, not the destination, to, to use that cliche. It's about constantly walking closer and closer with God and pursuing God as he's pursuing us. But here's what you can do. What you can do is you can pass along the things that you're currently learning. No matter where you are in your spiritual walk, you can pass on to somebody else the things that you're currently learning, whatever that is. Even with all your questions, even with all your inadequate answers, even with all your doubts and your confusions, if they ask you a question that stumps you, that's okay. <laughs> you get to learn more when people ask you those kinds of questions. When you pass on what you're learning to someone else, you're going to grow. You're going to grow by leaps and bounds. You're going to grow just from having those conversations. Whether you have answers for people or not, you're going to grow. And if you want to have the answers, if you want to have all the answers and you don't ever want to get caught without a response, what you're dealing with there is sinful pride. It's okay not to know the answer to a question. It's okay not to know how to respond to a challenge to your faith. There's nothing wrong with that. Just admit you don't know, thank them for challenging you, and go learn some more. Grow closer in your walk with Jesus. This, is something, this, is, this concept is something that, that the wise philosophers and sages throughout history have always known. Uh, Seneca the Younger, a uh, Roman philosopher uh, before Jesus was even born, he said, when we teach, we learn. When we teach, we learn. Modern scholars call it the protege effect. You learn by teaching. You learn by teaching. Students who teach others have an exponential growth in their learning because they've taken on the task of teaching somebody else above those who just sit and, and learn, learn from a teacher. So what if, this, what if what we're doing here right now was a course? You showed up at school, you're a course, I'm the professor, and I announce, you know what, in this class there's not going to be any papers, not going to be any assignments. The only assignment you're going to have, the only thing that your grade is based on is every week after class on Sunday, I want you to go out and tell one person what you just learned in class. Don't you think if you took that seriously and really wanted to get the message across to somebody that you would learn more in the process because you took on the responsibility of teaching someone? That's how it works. So think about how much you would, you would learn in that process. This emphasis on discipleship may or may not make for bigger crowds, but it's always going to make for bigger Christians. That's the priority. Having more and more people who are walking closely with God, not just having more and more people in the seats, but having more and more people that are walking closer and closer with Jesus. So as we grow and as we become more enthusiastic about our faith, other people are going to want to join us. And then we're going to teach them how to bring others along with them. And that chain reaction continues. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is with us being able to say, Jesus is Lord. So, homework. Here's your homework. 
Talk to someone this week about something you're learning. That's it. Talk to someone this week about something you're learning. That's the first step to discipling someone. Or if you're talking to somebody who's further along in the spiritual walk than you are, at least you perceive them that way, then you're being discipled by bringing those things up to them. So there's your homework. Here's some thought questions. Now, I don't know, we're going to, com group leaders, you're going to get an email from me later tonight. There's, uh, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, so there's some things that we're, that we're going to make available to you to observe Ash Wednesday in Calm Group. So you may or may not get to these, but we're still going to email them out for you to think about, think about. Perhaps you'll discuss them in Calm Group. Perhaps you won't. Perhaps it'll just be something that you can think through in your own time during the week. But here's a few things to think through. Read, read, through, read, read it slowly, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Read it slowly. Um, think on each word. And then think about these questions. How ready and equipped do you feel to begin making disciples? What value do you think Sunday services play in our church life? At I copied that question from somebody at the meeting house, and I forgot to change it, so ignore that. <laughs> Caught me. Um, why not just be a collection of, of house churches or comm groups? Why not just listen to the podcast? Why gather to learn? Um, who have been your primary disciplers, your teachers, your mentors, and your faith, and how have you passed that on? And have you done your homework for this week? How did it go? If you haven't done it, what, what's keeping you from doing that, from sharing what you're learning with someone else? Think about that. Um, that's what it's all about. That's why we're here. Um, find somebody who, you, who can walk closely with you in your life and, and show you the way of Jesus more perfectly. And also find somebody that you can walk with closely and show them the way of Jesus more perfectly. That's what we're doing here. 29 minutes, 24 seconds. <laughs> thank you. Let's pray, and I'll close it out. Almighty God, we thank you for being our Lord. We thank you for, for loving us. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for showing us the way to a life that's um, more perfect, uh, that's more complete, that brings us the things that we hunger for and don't even realize. We thank you for that. And God, as we try to live this life that um, that we keep screwing up as we try to, as, as we try to achieve the, the purposes that you've set before us and we keep stumbling over our own feet. We pray that we'll be better at helping each other, at opening our lives up to one another so that we can, so that we can walk together um, through the process of discipleship. Um, God, help us to set aside our pride, to be willing to ask questions when we have them, and help us to set aside our fear and be willing to talk to people about the things that we're learning. Because there's nothing that's more important to us than seeing a world that more resembles you and your will. And that starts with us and our ability to walk in the way that you've set before us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.